Hey guys, this is Jay Shear, host of the Reclamation Society podcast. And today we're discussing Suicide Squad. We're going to take a deep dive into the story, the characters, and the major and minor themes weaved throughout the episode. I also do want to take a minute to welcome all of our new subscribers and followers. Thanks for joining us on the podcast and be sure to check out www.reclamationsociety.org to watch our Star Wars fan film and learn a little bit more about our organization. The link is in the show notes below. I do want to let you know this podcast on Suicide Squad will contain spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, you might want to do so prior to listening in. Having said all that, let's dive into DC's Suicide Squad. All right, Daryl, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Of course. You know, I I always think that you're one of my favorite people to have on the podcast, and one of the main reasons... I mean, obviously, you know a ton about comics and all that kind of stuff, but you actually record with me in person. It's the only person that I will that. actually drive to your house. Yeah, and that's actually super <laughs> cool. It's actually really fun because it makes it a little bit more conversational. I can watch your nonverbal cues as opposed to on the phone where it's harder to do that. Which is gold for a podcast. Yeah. Nonverbal cues are the way to go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, all right, well, let's jump into Suicide Squad. Um, it's, I, I still have not been able to invite you to a podcast where Batman isn't involved. <laughs> I know. I'm like, we almost pulled it off on this one. Yeah, we almost pulled it off, but not quite because he's still in there. It's okay. It's all right. We'll get there. So where we always start, obviously, is with our um, overall assessment of the movie, our opinion. So on yep. a scale of one to ten, what do you think Suicide Squad is? I think I might surprise people. Um, I would give it a seven. Hmm. I know this one took a lot of flack, but okay, I'll get into this later. I have a whole rant on DC versus Marvel and DC oh, yeah, being yeah, yeah. treated unfairly and all that kind of stuff. But I agree with that assessment, by the way. Yeah. But I enjoyed Suicide Squad, especially more the second and third times around. Um, I think there actually is more to it that you can get on a second viewing once you kind of get past the disappointment of the kind of lame villain and right. the fact that the Joker's not on screen more. And, right, right, right. You know. There's all kinds of things that I understand. Like, I know there's criticisms that I get. But I think beyond that, there are actually really good characters. I think, aside from the bad villain, I think there's a good story to be told. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a good arc for at least some of the characters. Right. Um, so, yeah, I'd give it a seven. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I agree with everything you said. And as we jump into it deeper, it'll that'll be obvious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I gave it a four. Now, I told, okay, (laughs) last night, Jamie and I were talking about this. Uh Jamie's my wife for all of you out there. Um, I was telling her, I'm like, I know Jay's got this one to 10 thing and he's going to ask me (laughs) and I think I'm going to surprise him because I'm going to say seven. Yeah. And she said, well, what do you think he's going to say? I'm like, he's probably going to say four. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, you know me too well, but here's the thing actually really. So I think what you're saying is really true. It's just such a polarizing movie. So, yeah. the, so the next the next topic is like, well, let's just give me all your thoughts on like, your, what's your opinion? How did that opinion get fleshed out? I know you've got a bunch of notes. I've got a bunch of notes. So just, just go for it. Okay, first of all, let me go into the Marvel versus D thing. Okay, go D for it. D thing, DC thing, if yeah. I could. Yeah. Please. So I don't know. I when Iron Man came out and the MCU started. Yeah. Obviously, Marvel has revolutionized comic book movies, and they've set this standard, which is great. And so there is a quality standard there, and I get that. And they do make great movies. 
But there's also just a style to it that people have become so comfortable with that when DC comes along and makes darker movies and edgier movies and movies where they try to go a little bit deeper, not always that successfully, but they try, then people, they're not comfortable with it and they don't like it because it doesn't feel like a Marvel movie. Right. Like Batman versus Superman, arguably not as fun as Captain America Civil War. Right. Unless you're like me and I'm dying to see Batman and Superman on screen together. Right. <laughs> but, but I think that's okay. That's a stylistic difference. So I think because of how good Marvel is, DC gets kind of the short end of the stick because yeah. people like what they're comfortable with, right? Mm-hmm. At least that's kind of the casual moviegoers. And then you've got comic book fans. Yes. Fanboys. And a lot of them are just impossible to please. <laughs> you know? True. It's true. like... That's, That's not my Batman. That's not my Iron Man. Like, they just, there's no way to please them because they yeah. have this idea in their head of what it should be, and you're never going to accidentally hit that, you yep. know? I try to be an optimist, which is, I think, is another reason that I like Suicide Squad. I think it's so cool that we live in this world now where movies are getting made with these characters that I grew up reading. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, this is awesome. Why be critical? Right. Just be hopeful that every movie's going to be good. Sure, you'll be disappointed sometimes, but so... I try to be positive, and so I, I, I don't have any notes on this, but I want to take a detour. This might be a three-hour podcast as we talk about this stuff. Uh oh, here we <laughs> go. Editor's note: Don't worry, it's not. And we'll talk about Batman v Superman in a completely other, different podcast. Yeah, that because it has Batman in it, I'm sure Daryl will be a part. Yeah, the <laughs> way it's got to be, right? Um, but I wrote. Well, a, I wasn't I, there for the killing joke. Oh, that's true. Yeah, but yeah, that yeah. was my choice. Yeah, you opted out I of that one. I didn't want to yeah. do that one. Yeah. I can understand that, too. Because it's terrible. Which, go back and li- listen to that podcast if you want to hear some interesting thoughts about The Killing Joke, which was kind of a fascinating deal. The podcast was great. Oh, you the movie, the podcast? Yeah. I listened to the podcast. The movie yeah. was terrible. Yeah, the movie, movie, movie was not good. Um, so, I wrote a, actually an entire blog uh, post for the pros and cons, um, P-R-O-S-E, pros and cons, dot com. Um, Friend of mine, uh, Sandra Demas, who was on the podcast. She runs that. Yeah, site. The, the Stranger Things. Episode. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Stranger Things. So we, so I wrote a blog post for her website um, about comparing Marvel and DC. Uh, and I think you're, I think you are a hundred percent right. Yeah. Well, no, no I think you're a hundred percent right in that DC is getting the short end of the stick, and it's not quite fair. Now, in the in the uh, in the blog post, I prove prove. I make I make a an assessment for why that is right because DC is making a few mistakes. Sure, I do agree with you a hundred percent that they're doing a better job of going deeper and exploring themes. Yeah, that are more important themes than what Marvel is exploring. Mostly, mostly. I think some of the Marvel films get that deep too. Some of them do. Yeah. And we had a really great, um, you know, Bobby Nash and I had a really great conversation about civil war, mm-hmm. which did get pretty deep. Yeah. Um, like the Avengers don't go deep at all. Right. right. Like those are just bubblegum movies. Right. But, um, that's why I really do appreciate DC. In fact, my first comment is that I love the tone of this film. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's dark, it's gritty, it's but it's really funny too. There's it's funny the most moments. fun one that they've made in the DC universe. Exactly. I mean, with you know the the cinematic DC universe, and they pull it off really, really well. Yeah. Um, I think so. Anyways, I thought most the tone of it. was fantastic. Yeah. So, what are some other thoughts you have about the movie? Well, I think um, I think one of the reasons that DC has a hard time with their movies is that 
their characters are so big and powerful and they're hard to write for. Right. Almost kind of like godlike. Like it's hard to write a real problem for Superman because he can do anything. Exactly. Batman's a little different. He's more human. And I think Marvel characters on the whole tend to be more human and easier to write stories for. And I think Suicide Squad has that going on too. Like these characters are more ground level. They're easier to write for. And I think there's some really good characters in this movie. Like Deadshot and Harley and the Joker and even Flag. I wish Tom Hardy would have played him like they originally planned. But I still think it was a really good that character. That would have been cool. Yeah, that he couldn't do it because uh, The Revenant ran too long. Ah. But um, so I think it, there's a lot of good characters in this. I think it suffers because the villain's terrible. Like the Enchantress and her big bad brother. And um, they're just flat and boring and generic kind of reminded me of ghostbusters a little bit you know? <laughs> totally i mean ghostbusters is funny but yeah 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 so they're they're bad but i think for the most part everything else that's going on around it mm-hmm. is good like i think the journey yes. of the squad itself is good yep and deadshot and harley specifically i think are really good yeah so Totally agree. And actually, some of the notes I had, um, actually, I just got done, so this is a kind of a side conversation, but I just got done watching The Watchmen, oh. um, which... I'm I don't gonna, even think I've seen that all the way through. Oh, no? I'm going to do a podcast on that one. That's actually... I really like that movie. It has... Really? It has some really low lows. Don't get me wrong. Oh, man. I love the way that they treat Dr. Manhattan in that story, because okay. as you talked about Superman, yeah, they yeah, explore yeah. his... Like, what would actually happen if a human being st- got received godlike powers? Yeah, and then he becomes completely removed. He becomes like he doesn't even care about people anymore. Yeah, yeah. Like, and there's some there's some like twists in there, but I thought that was a kind of a cool portrayal of a character that was facing that kind of thing. So I agree with you that, that DC has a harder time exploring some of those things. But actually, I would compliment them on their ability to take Superman and make him. Very relatable. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And especially in Man of Steel and in the Ultimate Edition of Batman vs. Superman. Yes. The theatrical version leaves most of the good Superman stuff out Mm -hmm. and makes him kind of empty. But if you watch the Ultimate Edition... It's great. Couldn't agree more. And and when we do a podcast on that, we're going to do one on the Ultimate Edition. So that would be awesome. Um, Okay, so I I consistently like David Ayer's movies for the most part. So um, I didn't like Sabotage. (laughs) Have you ever seen Sabotage? I saw Sabotage. It wasn't good. (laughs) It was not good. (laughs) Um, What it seemed like to me was David Ayer wrote this thing, and so we can make a movie because people will think that it's cool, especially if we add Arnold. (laughs) Yeah. It's like just... Just don't go there. It's yeah. not worth it. Um, SWAT was okay. It was fun. It oh, was he not, did SWAT? He did SWAT. He wrote it. Okay. He wrote SWAT. Um, I remember SWAT. It felt like a an attempt to recapture speed. Yeah, exactly. It didn't work. Exactly. Yeah. But, but let me just list these for you because these, I think, are all really, really strong movies. Fury. I liked Fury. Fury was great. Um, Training Day. Okay. I liked. I love Training Day even more than Fury. Training Wait, Day was intense. Training Day with Denzel and Ethan Hawke? Yes. yes. That was Ant- Anton Fuqua. Uh, but he wrote it. Oh, he wrote it. He okay, wrote it. Yeah, got yeah. it. Um, U571. He did that? He wrote that one, too. Oh, yeah. That's a great one. Um, and he did the first Fast and the Furious. He's credited as a writer. The first <laughs> Fast and Furious, which is the best Fast and the Furious, in my opinion. Oh, okay. That's another <laughs> podcast we can have right yes. there. I do not agree with okay, that. Okay. Well, that's, 
<laughs> we'll leave that one on the table. <laughs> um, so I do, I do like that. I think that um, the script for this film is okay. It has moments of greatness, and then has some yeah. kind of that felt really, really forced. Mm-hmm. In fact, I can almost see that it was almost reshot scenes that were almost reshot. Like we need to make this funnier. Like say something funny, and the funny doesn't feel quite on point. When you watched it on video, did you watch? The extended edition or the theatrical? No, the theatrical version. Okay. Yeah, because I, I bought it and I watched the extended edition, and there's a couple things that I can kind of recognize, but yeah. it's not like the Batman Superman Ultimate Edition. Like, it's not as noticeable. Oh, got it. It's got maybe it, got like it. ten extra minutes of footage, and it's okay. it's much more subtle. Yeah. but there is more Joker and Harley, which oh, is kind of cool. Yeah, interesting. We have a whole section on that in our podcast. Yeah. Um. I. I. So here's what here's what I feel is happening with DC. Um, I think that there are like two to three awesome storylines going through this film, Suicide Squad. Yeah. And those themes are exploring some pretty deep things. But then someone somewhere along the line said, you can't do these three themes. Mash all this up and change everything and change the ending. And like, boom, there you go. Here's your movie. So I almost feel like, and Ayer complained a little bit about this, about people messing with the film a little bit. And I think you can see it. Yeah. And I think that that's true of even the Snyder films. I think people are interfering with a little bit of... Now, granted, he's making his own mistakes, and that's a whole other podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, in Snyder's case, the interference is probably helpful. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe. I like I like Snyder. You know you and I disagree a little bit on that, we, although we do agree that um, there are some things... He's like kind of awesome and then kind of awful. Visually, he's awesome. Yes, visually, he's amazing. That's for another time. So I feel like, I feel like Ayers was a little bit restrained here somehow. Um, and so, especially, I would say... The beginning seems really like he had his free reign to do what he wanted to do. Yeah. And then it seems like it was getting chopped up a little bit near the end. Yeah. And and during the middle to a certain degree as well. So it's interesting because you never know even how editors are going to deal with the film. Yeah. So. Well, and it feels weird a little bit too because it's almost like the beginning of the movie isn't even storytelling. It's just like yeah, introductions. Exactly. They spend like a half an hour introducing all these characters and it seems like they do each of them like twice. Well, and if I, in most films, I would criticize that intro. Yeah. But I actually really liked the intro because I, what I felt like they were doing is they were being pretty true to the characters. And so, and those characters are interesting to me. Yeah. So I didn't have a problem with it. Did you, what did you think? I didn't necessarily have a problem with it because it was fun, but yeah. I've heard people say that they had a problem right. with it. Right. But it was funny. I in order to not prepare for this, but I've been thinking of doing this anyway. I actually went and bought a couple of Suicide Squad trades. Oh, cool. Which I've never read any Suicide Squad before. I haven't either. I haven't either. So I bought um, the first trade from like the original series in the 80s when they sort of... Suicide Squad was created in the 60s, but it was really different. And then they rebooted it in the 80s. Got it. And it looked kind of like it does now. So I got that. And then I got one of the newer ones from like the new 52 from like, I don't know, 10 years ago or whatever. That oh, was. that's cool. I haven't read that one yet, but I started reading the one from the eighties hmm. and like same thing. The first 60 pages is like origins and introductions <laughs> right. and it's like, okay, well, yeah. I guess you can't really, you know, it'd be hard 
with these characters, which are mostly side characters or villains in other stories, yeah, yeah. right? Um, it'd be hard for those people like me who have who are familiar with Killer I'm familiar with all of them, right? right. But I'm not familiar intimately with any of their personalities. Yeah. Harley, Harley, of course, right? Yeah. But um, a lot of them, you're not really familiar with their personalities. So, it's for, especially for the general audience, you've got to introduce them somehow. It's true. It's true. Yeah. So and especially you, their own versions of them, too. Like, Absolutely. I've been really familiar with Deadshot for a long time. I actually really like that character. Right. And I was excited for this movie because Deadshot's been done a couple times on screen before hmm. and never well. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. He's been done pretty well in animation, but never live action. Like, hmm. the Arrow show used him and their version oh, yeah. is not that good. Right, right, right. But I really liked what this movie did with it. Yeah. In fact, you mentioned a couple characters. So you mentioned Deadshot. Totally agree. Fantastic. I mean, it's hard because if you give Will Smith a good character, it's, he's great. I mean, there's, there's like no question, right? Yeah. Um, he's just such a likable dude. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. If anybody tells me like, I don't like Will Smith, I'm like, what is your problem? Yeah. Um, he's so nice. He's so cool. Um, it's funny. I was listening, listening. I was watching special features. Oh yeah. Cause I bought it. And he talks a lot about that character because if you look back at Will Smith, his catalog, he doesn't play villains. You know? Right, right. He's the good guy. Yep. He's the hero. And so when he comes into this movie and he had the opportunity to do this or Independence Day, mm. good choice, <laughs> <laughs> he, um, he was talking about like, I, he was saying, I can't figure out why somebody would do this. Why would somebody just go out and kill people? Right. Right. You know, for the money maybe, but why would somebody decide to do that? And then he said he was talking to somebody and someone told him because it's fun. Mm. And he had to wrap his head around that. He's like, that's twisted obviously, (laughs) but that's a real motivation because it's fun. Right. right. (laughs) You know, um, it should not be fun to kill people. That's not what I'm saying. But <laughs> yeah. it gave him a motivation to play the character. Right. Which you, then you can kind of see in the movie. So. Yes. Yeah, no question. No question. So so Will Smith is fantastic. Um, I thought Margot Robbie did a great job as Harley Quinn. Totally. Um, nailed the character from a mindset and, um, and actually made it even deeper than I think the comics generally tend to take Harley. Now, granted, I've not been exposed to Harley in her own stories and things like that. Yeah. But, um, in terms of the stories I've seen her in, uh, is it Viola or Viola? Viola. I think, I think it's, Viola. it's Viola. Viola Davis. Yeah. Is amazing as She's Amanda great. Waller. She really captures oh my what that character gosh, yeah. was originally meant to be in the comics. Yeah. She, and, and she plays it so, cause it'd be so easy to overplay this character. Yeah, yeah. It'd be so easy to underplay this character. Cause you're dealing with like the, these bombastic people and you're totally. not right. Like yeah. you don't have a clown outfit. You don't have a cool gun or, <laughs> or a unicorn toy, totally. which is weird. But, um, but she is awesome. She's like one of the best performances I think in the, in the, um, in the movie. Uh, the third, the, the fourth character that I thought that I liked a lot before I get into the characters that I didn't like as much mm-hmm. was I thought that El Diablo was fantastic. He was cool. Yeah. And, I, and, and going into this film, I'm like, I've never even heard of this guy. I've never seen him show up before. I hadn't either. I mean, there is a version of El Diablo that I'd heard of. Yeah. From, like from the 80s. This is not him. Mm-hmm. This is totally different. 
So I didn't know this one either. Yeah. So I, I thought that was a great. And I also love that they used a character like that to bring about some of the deepest messaging in the film. Yeah. Um, that we didn't know about. So it's like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know this was true. I didn't know this was going on. And like to put a, a Latino superhero villain, I guess, but superhero on screen. Yeah. You don't see that a lot. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, so what I didn't like, um, I did not like Killer Croc at all. Mm. Um, that was a negative for me. Uh, uh, Captain Boomerang actually worked pretty well, I thought. Um, mm. I thought he was okay. Let's put it that way. That might be our biggest disagreement about this. <laughs> Under, <laughs> underutilized, maybe, is, is what I would say. Oh, I'd say overutilized. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It would, have only been a, it would have been a seven for me if only Captain Boomerang would have been. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. Um, I hate that character. In all, in all almost forms? as much, almost as much as I hate that actor. Uh, see, I don't know the actor very well. Uh, see, okay, I he, there's there might be a couple things he's done, but and I'm not saying he's a terrible actor. Right, right. I'm not, I'm not commenting on his skill. Jai Courtney is his name. Okay, but he's just made so many movies that I hate <laughs> and hated him in. <laughs> That's funny. Terminator Genesis. Uh, um, I don't think I've seen that. The fifth Die Hard movie, A Good Day to Die Hard. Oh, didn't watch that one either. Awful. I heard Awful. how bad it was. Oh, I'm not gonna watch it. And I just, oh man, I just the guy seems like movie poison to me. Uh, and I didn't, and I didn't like Boomerang's character either. Like I talked about some of the characters having an arc and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. I felt like they were just using Boomerang to remind you that these people are villains, and it's like, yeah, mm, we don't really need that. We yeah, get that's it. True. That's you true. know. He's part of the ensemble that is part of the ensemble part of the ensemble. Yeah, and he's a very <laughs> classic member of the Suicide Squad. Like, he's always been a part of it all throughout the years. Got it. So, I get the respect to the material approach yeah, to yeah. putting him in there. Maybe if they had someone else play him, but <laughs> I didn't like that character at all. Sorry. Um, no, that's, that's I, 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 like I said, he's okay. Rick Flagg is also okay. Yeah, don't love his portrayal totally, but I think some of the some of the anger seems a little forced anger to me. Um, that's okay, uh, but like you said, um, Enchantress and Incubus. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> this is okay. Why in the it was world? literally like watching? Remember Sigourney Weaver when she was possessed by the uh, ghost by yes. Zool or whatever in yes. Ghostbusters? It's what it felt like to me. Okay, before I rant and rave about this, I do want to say one more positive thing. Great soundtrack. Mm. Fantastic soundtrack. That 21 Pilot song is so catchy. Oh my gosh, that's a good, yeah, that's a super good song. And there's just so many, when they hit the soundtrack with the filmmaking, and yeah, it's yeah. not overdone, it's, it's really good. Totally. Um, okay, but now I'm going to rant a little bit. Um, can we please... <laughs> Not have electricity and floating debris as the <laughs> scariest thing around. Because, I mean, how many movies have done this now? But they did a good job making fun of it. Like, Will Smith had True. some... What, he Didn't he have a line where he said something like, I'm guessing we're going towards that giant <laughs> ring of floating garbage in the sky or something like that? Yes, yes. And that's good, and I appreciate that. But... Come on. I mean, it's gotten to the point now where it's like, and, and that was, that was floating debris and electricity for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> like the, why? Yeah. Why? At least with, um, and what were they even trying to do? Like they made reference to building some sort of machine Well, because yeah. humans build machines. This is the thing I don't understand. And this is probably where the cuts, it gutted some of this stuff. Right. But they are former, <sighs> they were former pseudo deities. 
yeah. that wanted to be worshipped again and they were going to take over the world, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. But why do you need the, the floating debris and the electricity? I just don't get that. So, and... Like it made it made more sense in movies where they were doing the terraforming, like like Man of Steel, right? Uh-huh. We're gonna use this device because we need to kind of recreate our world here. Yeah, I get that. That's fine. It's not as big of a deal. But here, yeah. don't need it. Could have done a lot of other cool things with totally. it. Totally. I also so. hated. Maybe you're gonna talk about this, but if you are, I'll step on your feet. No, no. Go for I it. also hated the faceless soldiers that they were yes. fighting against. Could and not agree more. For several reasons. One, they looked stupid. <laughs> they looked really dumb. Two. <laughs> Their like, faces are moving around. I know. That I just know. doesn't make any sense. It's like a waste of CGI money, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's kind of a surprise that they had CGI money left over after all the song licensing I'm sure they had yeah, to pay for. But, seriously. But yeah, they looked stupid. Um, but the thing that really bugged me about it is I think it was a cop-out story-wise because you have a movie full of supervillains. Right. And you're trying to introduce them as superheroes. Right. So that's this hard balance to do. That's the whole idea of the Suicide Squad. Right. You want to build some redemption in there. Mm-hmm. So you want to have a movie where you get to see why they're supervillains. Yes. And in most of their cases, that means they kill people. Right. So you want to be able to see them fight and kill and shoot and attack and do all this stuff. But you also want to have them get somewhat redeemed and move towards being better. Right. And so it seems like a cop-out to say, well, let's just have all these faceless drones that they fight against, and then we can see them be violent, but they're not really killing anybody. The villain killed them all. Exactly. And it's like, I would rather have actual people for them to fight against and see them have to struggle with killing versus not killing. Yeah. How do they complete the mission without reverting to what they used to be? You know. Well, not only that. So not only that, but... um which I agree with all of that. The it would have been at least interesting. I know this is sort of a trope of the zombie world, but like even if they would have been like rotting zombies, like we normally see zombies, right? Like I'm gonna take you over. Now you're a zombie. You're a soulless creature. At least there could have been some drama related to like characters that they knew that had come back to life. And like, should we kill them or not? Because are they actually a zombie? Are they lifeless? Yeah. I know that's a trope, right? Like that's that's been done before. Yeah. But it would have been way more interesting than these faceless things that yeah. were at one point someone who doesn't matter anymore. Totally. Could not agree more. So totally, total agreement on that. But now we have to specifically get into because it's one of the key components of the movie. What are your thoughts on Jared Leto's Joker? Jared Leto's Joker. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I actually really like, this is a small thing, but I really like his laugh. I think oh. his Joker laugh is really interesting. Yeah, that's true. I think that's kind of cool. Um, well, I don't know if I'd call this a complaint, but because it's a different version, it's a different take, but I have to, I can't help but draw comparisons to Heath Ledger, right? Right, yeah, Because yeah, The Dark Knight's my favorite movie, yeah. and... <clears throat> Didn't you say, in your opinion, that was like the best performance of all time in any movie that's ever been made? I'm, I still have yet to think of a better one. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. And it's not a Star Wars movie. That's amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, Star Wars is basically <laughs> the performances are not the that's true. Not the thing in those that's movies. Um, so when I compare him to the Joker from The Dark Knight, immediately I get the whole thing where he's not as mysterious as Heath Ledger's Joker was. Which in some ways to me makes him a little bit less interesting. Because you can kind of see his motivation. You can see vulnerabilities in him. You can see 
his codependency on Harley. Right. And so there's things that he cares about. Right. And there's motivations that he has for doing what he's doing other than just being a maniac. Yes. So I'm not saying that's bad. Right. That's definitely a different take from a version of the Joker that I absolutely love. Right. Um, I think one of my complaints about the Joker isn't so much about Leto's performance, but just about the fact that they introduced him in this movie mm. instead of in a Batman movie. Oh, okay. And when they chose to put Batman in this movie, yeah, they've got that scene with the car and the Batmobile and stuff like right. that. That's fine, but you don't really see Ben Affleck's face in that. There's no actual confrontation right. between the two of them. Right. The only confrontation we get is between Batman and Deadshot. Yes. Which is good, but I feel like they're skipping over the iconicness of Batman and the Joker. Right. And I know they had hints to him in Batman versus Superman, and that's fine. So, but... Or they had him in the character of... That's a whole other podcast. The Jason Todd thing? <laughs> the, no, no. The, um, the fact that... Uh, Lex Luthor has played as the Joker. Oh. That's a whole other podcast. Oh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, Ultimate Edition, mm-hmm. Lex Luthor's much better. This is true. This is true. But um, I just, I guess for me, it's a little bit of a bummer that the first version of Joker we get to see is in the context of his weaknesses surrounding Harley. Right. And not in the context of the polar opposite between him and Batman. But, um, but I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a cool performance. It's definitely more comic booky, um, yes. more video gamey, kind of a lot like the Arkham games and stuff like that. Very much so, yeah. Um, so I liked it. I, I'm excited to see him do more. Yeah, and, and, and as I prompt some other things, this would be good because I was going along the same kind of line that you were in comparing him to other Jokers. But I actually think that I preferred the performance the first time I watched the movie. The second time I watched the movie, I actually liked it less. Mm. Um, so you started to break this down, and I, I did the same thing. And so I think it's, it's worthy to talk about this for a minute. Um, you get two types of Jokers in the comics and the movies, in general. And there's like a, there's like, it's a continuum, but, okay. but you get two, in my opinion. Um, one, you get sort of the, the mastermind with the screw loose, um, yeah, yeah. who's, who works with others, but he actually, he, he freaks out on them. He, but in general, he's a mastermind and he's trying to, and then you also get the loner Joker, yeah. right? So Nicholson's Joker, first category Joker, right? Uh, mastermind collects people around him, try, has a goal, has some sort of a goal in mind. That's not just pure chaos. Yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> and that to me is where. Leto's Joker fits in. He's in that category. Yeah. He's a psychopathic person, but has actual human desires, if you will. Yeah. In other words, he wants money. He wants power in, in a weird way in this film and with Harley, he wants love. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about that cause that's a whole other situation, but they do a good job establishing him as kind of like the feared crime boss with that whole scene with, exactly. with common yep. in the, yep. early in the movie when, yep. It's clear that he's just scared to death of Joker. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Which is actually, which is a great scene yeah. too, which is a great scene. Um, so the, that first category of Joker, the mastermind Joker, not the loner version, but the mastermind Joker, he still breeds chaos, which is why he is a great like, counter to Batman. By the way, if my voice keeps cracking, it's because I have a cold. So if that <laughs> happens again, yeah, you know why. Um, but there's something in it for him, which is a yeah. little different. Like, like in, 
Heath Ledger's Joker, he doesn't care about money. Right. He doesn't care about love. He doesn't care about anything else. He cares solely about proving to the world that anything and everything that they believe in is ludicrous. Right. Um, so his goal is to reveal the big joke to the world. Yeah. Uh, that nothing matters. That right. nothing truly matters. And I, So that's the portrayal that I really like when I see a Joker. Me too. It's the Joker that's in the killing joke. Like, it's the same. It's the same. It's like, I'm just going to break you down. I have no other goal than to break down your preconceived notions about how the world actually works. Mm. And to reveal to you something that's that I see that no one else sees. I love that portrayal. Um, so this portrayal is not as compelling to me. Yeah. Because this is just a psychopathic person who right. has the same desires that anybody else has. There's nothing there's nothing new per se about this. Yeah. Um now having said that, um I think that, that Leto does a good job. Of, of the portrayal. I think he does a good job. Yeah. I, I don't think he can get to the level that Ledger gets to because he's not playing a character that can get to that level. Right. So what is your response to that? Which Joker do you prefer? Well, definitely Ledger. Hmm. Um, and I, I almost wanted to say I don't think he could get to the level that Ledger did because he's not the actor that Ledger was. Uh, but then you look at some of the other movies that Jared Leto's made, and yes. he definitely is a crazy talented guy. No question, yeah. So yeah. maybe that's not a fair statement. But I, f- I feel like we were just about to see Heath Ledger blow up into something really special before we lost him. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I still prefer Heath Ledger's version because I, I do like the motivationless Joker. I like the yeah. just wants to watch the world burn. I think that's way more interesting Especially compared to Batman, exactly. who is riddled with motivation. He's got all kinds of motivations behind what he does. Exactly. So And so do you can you see Heath Ledger Heath Ledger's Joker? Can you see him falling for Harley Quinn? No. And I don't even think exactly. Harley Quinn would exist in a Nolan Batman world. Exactly. So that's exactly my take on it. I, yeah. I was thinking through it, I'm like well, because love, even if it's chaotic and infatuation, which we'll, we'll get into that whole thing yeah. too, it's still logical. Yeah. It still makes sense. It's not a joke. The world's not a joke if that can be true. Yeah. Right? But I do think, you know, from a perspective of take, doing a different take on the character, right. I think bringing Harley into it and giving him that motivation, although that may not be the type of Joker I prefer, yes, I think it makes total sense because... You know, when I talked earlier about fanboys being critical and stuff like that, I think it's because they see these movies come up and there's comics all over the place. We get a thousand different takes on all these characters from different writers and different creators and different artists. Movies are different. Movies take a heck of a lot more to make and you don't get that many of them. So they put all their eggs in one basket when these movies come up. And if Zack Snyder's Batman isn't their perfect Batman, they get upset. Right. But in reality... Movies are the same as comics. You just get less of it. It's just an artist's take on yep. a character. Yep. So if you can kind of chill out <laughs> and, and accept that, which I, you know, that's what I'm trying to do, then yeah. Jared Leto's Joker works really well in this context. Yes, exactly. I just think, and again, this is not picking on Leto. This is picking on the choice of the Joker. And granted, you're making a Harley Quinn film. 
Yeah. So, you, so if you're going to have the Joker, you're going to use this version of the Joker. Right, right. So right. my complaint is, like you're saying, like I'm not I'm not trying to be a fanboy and say, like, oh, they got the wrong Joker. No, it's fine. Yeah. It's just that I think that there's something that lacks – there's something poetic about Batman as the person who has a quest for order and, and the Heath Ledger Joker totally. or the Killing Joke Joker – whose whole purpose is to prove to Batman that order can never exist because chaos is reality. Right. Um, that, that's poetic. Yeah. This Joker, there's that, that poetry cannot meld that yeah. way, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and, I and I actually don't even think that there's, it's, it's necessary. I think that both Jokers can exist in the same world, meaning that like he can be one way, and then he can have a change in his life and then be the other way. Sure. Yeah. And I think so. another reason that it's, it makes sense in this case is because in the Chris Nolan films, um, there's nothing beyond what you see on screen. Right. You know, there is no, there is no rogues gallery of other supervillains, you right. know. There's Ra's al Ghul, there's the Joker, there's the Scarecrow, there's Two-Face, and there's Bane. That's pretty much it. Yeah. And they're all very human. Yeah. And so there is no larger world. Right. So in that context, somebody like the Joker can be the most extreme version of villainy. Right. In the DC universe that they're establishing now, that's not the case. Right. You've got Kryptonians, you've got aliens, you've got all this other stuff. So I think it in this context, I think it does make sense to have a Joker that has more motivation, more connections and more of a reason to do what he does. Yeah, I agree. So. In fact, I think in that regard, I think that um both movies, the Nolan movie, The Dark Knight and this movie, um in regards to the Joker do a really good job of setting up things that they would do, right? So like Heath Ledger's Joker puts on makeup yeah, there's a certain degree to which he may have scarred himself even as well. Right. Um, but he puts on makeup, but it's not. So in, in this case, he's putting on makeup because this showcases his worldview. If right. you If you understand why he's putting on the makeup, then you get the punchline. Yeah. That's why he's that's why he makes himself up to be the clown. Right. Um, but you contrast that with, Je with um, Jared Leto's Joker. And now you're looking at a guy who has tattoos. Well, that would be ridiculous for the Heath Ledger Joker to have tattoos. Right. Yeah. Why take the time to put something identifiable on your body that isn't part of the big joke? Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but yet in this this Joker, it makes sense. Like he's a narcissist. Yeah. He wants to prove to you that he's a tough guy. He wants to prove to you that right. he's crazy. Yeah. So he puts damage on his forehead. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Right. Totally. Um, uh, he wants to convey meaning in that. Um, he wants things like we talked about. He wants things. He wants Harley. Even mm -hmm. he wants Harley as a thing, by the way, yeah. which we'll, we can talk about later. Yeah. Um, he seems like he wants to rule Gotham, not just destroy Gotham, not just make it chaos, but actually rule it. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think all that's good. I think all that's cool. Uh, I just prefer the one Joker, but I totally agree with you. Leto does a great job. I actually think that I agree with you as well that Leto's a fantastic actor and can do a lot with the role. Um, and nobody wants to follow Heath Ledger. Totally. I mean, just to say I will follow Heath Ledger is like, that's a, that takes a lot of chops totally. to be able to do that. And he talks, Jared Leto talks about that in the special mm. features for the DVD. He says mm. when they called him and asked him to play the role, he was both really excited and both 
terrifying. Because <laughs> right, exactly. he didn't want to be that guy. He right, didn't want right. to be the one being judged for trying to be Ledger. You yeah. Know? And I do so. think it would be unfair to judge him as Ledger. Totally. For sure. For totally. Sure. And it's, I mean, in reality, it's unfair to compare the two. Because they're two different representations. They're two different takes. Exactly. And how cool that we live in a world where we get to see all that stuff. Totally. Totally. But, agree. man, when you love a performance as much as Heath Ledger's, it's, <laughs> it's just hard not to compare it. It's true. Hey, guys. Pardon my brief interruption here, but do you need a new pair of headphones? If you do, I want to tell you about Urban Vinyl. They make premium wood headphones that look amazing. And here's the thing. They're made by audiophiles for audiophiles, so they sound as good as they look. In fact, some reviewers have called the classics, they're the style of headphone, the best headphones on the market. They're what I wear when I record this podcast. So they're a sponsor of ours, and we would love for you to consider purchasing a pair using our link in the show notes. If you buy through our link, you save 15% and Urban Vinyl will make a donation to the Reclamation Society. So go check them out. Link is in the show notes. Thanks for letting me interrupt. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, so now we're going to break topic, and now we're going to dive into some deeper things here. Um, and the movie's asking us these things, right? So the first question I have is it's a three-part question. First part is, how should we define the term villain? Mm-hmm. What makes someone a villain and counter to that, what makes someone a hero? Hmm. There's probably a whole bunch of different answers to that. Yeah. I feel like in this movie, it has a lot to do with selflessness versus selfishness. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, and that's kind of the journey of these characters. Like, right. they start off as selfish people with hints of selflessness. Mm-hmm. Like the best characters in the movie already have that hint when it starts off. Right. Like my favorite character in the movie is Deadshot. And he's got that hint of selflessness because he has his daughter and he does want to make a better life for his daughter. Right. Same thing with El Diablo. Like he's been through this horrific thing where he killed his own family. And now his, this, the little hint of selflessness for him is he just doesn't want to be in the world anymore. He wants to keep himself away from the world. You right. know? Right, right. And even Harley, as twisted and codependent as she is, there's a you know there's some love for the Joker there too. Absolutely. So that's why I think the other characters don't work as well because mm. Killer Croc doesn't have that. Right. Um, and he, he does a little bit. He has a journey towards it a little bit towards the end. Right. But Boomerang never has it. <laughs> right. And but <laughs> but so I think. And, and at least in this context, as they journey towards being, I don't think any of them are heroes at the end of the story, but right. that's the journey. It's a hero's journey. Yep. And I feel like it's a journey of selflessness. Yes. So couldn't agree more. Yeah. No, couldn't agree more. In fact, that's my, that's my first, the first answer I have is basically defining villain and hero the same way. In fact, I think that if you go, if you go and look up the terms, um, hero, villain, and then I'm going to talk about protagonist and antagonist. Mm-hmm. I think I, did, I looked them up on Google. And I think Google's definitions are actually incorrect because hmm. they're basically they're, but the way that they talk about a villain is basically somebody who does bad things. Right. And I was like, that doesn't, that's not enough. Yeah. I think you, a, a true villain is acting out of self-interest predominantly mm. for themselves. Yeah. Um, but also for their people group uh, sure. or their inner circle of people, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So let me take a second to talk about protagonist and antagonist for a second. Because, um, again, I think the Google definition, if you look at what Google, how Google defines it, is a little bit incorrect. And I don't know where Google's pulling their source. It's from somewhere. Um, The protagonist for me is the person who is always out to accomplish something. Mm -hmm. And the antagonist is the person who's trying to counter that. Right. So if you look at Google, they just say the protagonist is one of the main characters. Sure. Well, not not really. I mean, one of the characters has to have a goal. The other character character or characters are trying to prevent that goal from being achieved. Right. So oftentimes, the protagonist is the villain. Because they want in this movie. It, yeah, in lots of movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The villain wants to do so, a lot of comic book movies. Right. The villain wants to do something bad, and then the antagonist, the heroes, have to say, like, no, you get to oh, I see prevent you from okay. doing this, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so in this case, I would say that um, we see these characters as the antagonists against Enchantress and Incubus being the protagonists, right. the people who want to try and accomplish something, right? right? And I think that then we get into this this kind of area where we have to we have to make a decision about who's really a hero and who's really a villain. So mm-hmm. here, that's going to lead into my next question. Um, I do think, just really quick, as I talk about the villains, and you talked about it too, I think that's totally true, is that they're out for themselves. So a, a villain always wants to satiate something for themselves. Mm. I want power. I want money. I want sex. I want whatever it is. I want that thing and I must yeah. satiate it. And a hero is usually somebody who sacrifices what they want or need in order to, you know, be a, right. a, a, a good influence on the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so given this definition of villain and hero, the question I have for you for the suicide squad, a movie about villains <laughs> Is who are who are the actual villains and actual heroes in this movie? That's a good question. Um, I think it depends on which point of the movie you're watching. Hmm. At the beginning of the movie, sorry, I'm thinking as I talk. Yeah. Probably the only hero in the movie might be Deadshot, or might have some hint of that. Right. Um. But I think over the course of it, the be- the best characters at least have a journey. Where you can call them heroes. Yeah. Because like in the beginning, I mean, Deadshot, he wants money. He kills because it's fun. Mm-hmm. But as, as the movie begins, he's in prison. Right. So he's not that at all in prison. But he's not out there doing this stuff. He really, I get the sense that he, if he were to get out of prison, wouldn't go back to it. Mm. He would be done with it. Yeah. Um, he might still want to kill Batman, which they reference later on. But, right, right, right. Um, so I feel like he's more geared towards his daughter yes. than he is towards his career right. as a villain. Right. Um, the others, you don't really get that sense, except for maybe um, El Diablo, because mm. he doesn't even want to get out. <laughs> you <laughs> right, know? Right. But that might be more out of fear than selflessness. Yes. Um, so I think... At the end of the movie, I think the true heroes, or the people that at least have a journey towards being heroes, yeah. are Deadshot, yep. um, El Diablo, yep. and and this surprised me, but Harley. Yes. I think Harley is um, probably, to me, the most surprising character in the movie. Yeah. Just because, partially because they gave her such a good 
arc. But also, like you, I, I hadn't even read anything with Harley. Mm. Like, I know they go deeper into her in the comics, but I never read any of that. I've seen the animated series from the 90s and all the right. stuff. And she's not a character. She's a caricature. You know, yes. she's she's Mr. J's, <laughs> you know, lackey and stuff. So, yeah, I think Harley is one of the most surprising characters just because of she, you know, I went into this movie not not having any expectation on her. And I was like, how are you going to do something good with such an empty <laughs> and lame character as right. Harley Quinn? Like right. I never understood why she got so popular. Mm. You know, Kevin Smith named his daughter Harley Quinn. Yeah. And I'm like, why? What's so interesting about her? Right. And this is the, this, the movie really surprised me because I'm like, okay, this version is interesting. Yes, very much so. So yeah, I think by the end of the movie, the ones that are at least on their way to being heroes are Deadshot, Harley, and El Diablo. And um, Deadshot, I might call him a hero by the end of the movie. I think he got there. He's awfully close. Uh, so I, I, I would... Um, one thing I really like about the film, and this is why this question actually is sort of difficult to answer, yeah. which is why I like it. And I think, I think Ayers knows this is the case. This is why he's playing this up. But um, and and the and the Watchmen did this even better than this movie does it. But that movie's supposed to be more complex. But that's that. Um, there is an assumption here that nobody's perfect, right? There's not a, there's not a perfect character in the entire film. Totally. Every single character does something bad, right? Right. Um, and then that makes us question. Well, if everybody does bad things, then that means that everybody must be selfish. So then, how do we define a hero or a villain coming out of that? Yeah, which is a great premise to have for a film. Right. Um, I think it's really, really good because villains then just can't be people who do bad things. Yeah, because then everyone's a villain. Yeah, it's like surprise, right? Um, so I like that a lot. I think uh, so. My heroes very similar to yours, a little different. So I, I have some who are heroes, some who are neutral, and some who are villains. So I have El Diablo. I think is the best example of the hero because he literally, having known how much his power can impact other people in negative ways, says, "I'm not even going to use my powers whatsoever." Right. And then says, "Okay, I realize that at this point in the movie." Um, when he gets there, that me limiting my power is actually a selfish thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's no longer selfless because I have to use this power to be able to help. Yeah. And so he, he makes the switch. So for, for me, I think that El Diablo is the best example of a hero in the film coming out of the worst example of what a villain could be killing kids and his wife and his kids and like, so he's, he's almost the worst person and then he's almost the best person by the end of the film. Yeah. In some, in some regards. I think the reason I gravitate more towards Deadshot than El Diablo is because El Diablo is a meta human. He has this thing about him that is beyond normal humanity that he's had to struggle with and can try to control his whole life. Right. Whereas Deadshot is nothing more than a product of his own choices and his own decisions. And he got himself to where he was and now he has to try to get himself right. out of it, you know. So I think that's a little bit more interesting to me. It Maybe is, that it goes is. back to the whole, you know, human characters versus godlike characters. And yeah, stuff like yeah, that. yeah. Well, no, I do appreciate that for sure. But I think what they did a good job of in the movie is explaining, because El Diablo actually tells them that 
it wasn't just a mistake he made. Those were choices that yeah. led up to him not being able to control himself. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that was, that was at least interesting take on it. Um, so Rick Flagg, I actually list as a hero too. Now, Rick Flagg does bad things, but his intention is to save Dr. Moon because he loves her. Um, so now is he a compelling hero? Not really. I don't, you know, like he's not super <laughs> compelling, but I would list him as a hero. And then the, the last person I had listed as a hero, oh no, sorry, um, is, is both Deadshot for the exact reasons you said yeah. and Harley. Um, Harley is the one that's almost neutral. She's really almost neutral, but I'll tell you the scene where she becomes a hero is she has one of the most compelling visions from Enchantress to go to. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. So, so her, her vision, the vision that she's given is of a pretty perfect life and her life is really screwed up. Yeah. Right. But and it's a reversal of all the bad decisions that she's made. It's a reversal of all the bad choices that both she and the Joker have made. Yeah. Um, and yet she still, she still says, no, I won't take that. And I'll still yeah. combat evil. So she gives up the selfish desire that she would have to see her life that way. Right. So that's a pretty compelling reason to put her in the hero category. Yeah. And, and Deadshot obviously fills into the same, yeah. same um, deal there. I think a lot of it too, for Harley, if you watch, I, you know, when I watched it the second time, I watched the extended edition. So it's hard to know how much of it was just me noticing more stuff the second time or if it was different on the mm-hmm. extended edition. But mm-hmm. when I watched it the second time, I got a much better sense of Harley's journey. Yeah. And I think there's more hero moments for her in there than you realize the yes. first time you see it. Yes. Um, but a lot of it, I think about who are heroes and who are villains are where the movie leaves it. Yes. Because this whole thing is very temporary. They go through this mission, they do what they need to do, and then they sort of go back to their lives and how it's affected it is sort of what defines them going forward. So that's why I love Deadshot. Like I think my favorite, one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is the scene where he's helping his daughter with his homework at the end Mm -hmm. of the movie after everything is all said and done. And you get this sense that he and flag have developed a respect for each other and he's on the road to something better. And Harley is a little frustrating in the sense that you get this whole journey of her, you know, going towards being more heroic and you see her grow. Yeah. And then at the end of the movie, Joker shows up and she smiles and disappears with him. Right. 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 You know? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like, exactly. ah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> but that makes sense in the context of their codependent, Existence, Yes. And, you know, you know, you want to set up seeing more of them later. So I do think that the, the other, the only character I have in the neutral category, um, because Harley just kind of like barely like ekes out the, the hero category. Yeah. Um, so the only category, the neutral category I have, uh, is Joker. Mm-hmm. And it's because essentially he's selfless in that he wants Harley. You could make an argument that, that his desire for Harley is selfish, yeah. but I think he's sort of in this movie, at least plays a neutral character. He's not out to, um, just be selfish. He's actually giving up some things to be able to rescue her. Yeah. Uh, so I throw him in that category. Yeah. <laughs> I think another hero, actually, now that I think about it, smaller character. Yeah. But GQ who is the character that Scott Eastwood played 
Oh, yeah. He's the one that set the mine that they used to take out Incubus and, I mean, I assume died in the process because he was touching it when it blew up. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But, um... That's a great point. I didn't think of him at all. He's a small character, you know, and they don't really give him an arc, but he sacrifices himself. Yeah. It's for the cause. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic um, example. So, the two villains... I should say the three villains um, I had were definitely Enchantress and Incubus. Um, they're obvious. They want to control the world. It's all selfish. Mm-hmm. Um, but the most insidious villain of all, I think, is Waller. Yeah. Now, granted, you can make an argument that Waller is doing all that she's doing to protect humanity in a way. Mm-hmm. But I can make a counter argument to say she's really only trying to take... I think she's actually trying to just to be a super villain. She's yeah. trying to control the world from her perspective. Yeah. Because she goes so far as to, I mean, this, the, the scene that really solidifies her as a villain in my mind is two. One, and I didn't get this on the first viewing. I got this on the second viewing. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that she was trying to create, she's trying to see what Enchantress can really do. Mm. Um, I think. There's a little bit of a hint in there in the movie that, that she's trying okay. to see because what she's ultimately trying to do is say like, well, who who's going to combat Superman? And so she's trying to push these people to their nth degree, so to speak, so to see how powerful they could become. I think that helps make that to me helps her make a little bit more sense because one of the weak points I thought was the whole idea of her having Enchantress's heart in a yeah, suitcase. Right, right, right. That just seems so tenuous. Like it's so easy for somebody to get a hold of that and compromise what the yes. whole thing she's doing. It seems, it seems like a weak point for her character to gamble so much on carrying the heart around. Right. Well, I think, I think that there was, there's just, there's, I don't think it's as obvious in the movie as it should be, mm-hmm. but there's, there's this little scene that indicates that Waller this entire time has been sort of just trying to figure out how she can let Enchantress go crazy. Mm-hmm. And then she'll bring up these other people to kind of, combat that but she's really just trying to see how powerful is this person how powerful is this entity and of course she kills her own staffers in the control right. room which is like mind-blowing she yeah. starts shooting them all and you're like whoa so yeah. uh so it's it's i think she plays a pretty compelling villain and I, and I wish we actually got to see more of why she's that way why she's trying to do this that'd be really interesting to me yeah and i don't know what the, i don't know how much backstory that david ayer has in his head, but in that comic I was talking about oh, earlier, yeah, the one yeah. from the eighties, they give you her backstory mm. and you know, it's this, I won't go into it too heavily, but she had a family, she had a husband and kids, mm. all of which one by one, not all at once were killed and murdered as a, as a result of their environment. Oh, no way. You know, like they just grew up in this horrible area, you know, in the hood or whatever. And they just, over time, everybody got taken away from her. Mm. And so she's left with this picture of how ugly the world is. And so that you can kind of see how that drives her to, you know, who cares about the circumstances? I'll do whatever I have to do to prevent this from happening to other people. Right. Which at the core is a good thing. But like you said, I think she's just twisted and has no limits and, yeah. yeah, yeah. She's a very compelling character. So, given that we've analyzed what the villains and the heroes in the film, 
Now my question is, should we actually be rooting for the Suicide Squad? And is it a problem to root for these pseudo-villains, pseudo-hero characters? Mm. Uh, I think it depends on which ones. Because, you know, for most of them, it's a story of redemption. Which, absolutely, you should root for that. (laughs) You know? Like... I don't know. I feel like most good movies and most good stories have some redemptive arc or redemptive element. And that's life. I mean, none of us are perfect. Right. We're all flawed and we're all on some version of a quest to improve and be better. Right. So that's, I mean, heck yeah, you got to root for that. But they don't all have that. True. Like, I don't think you yeah. can root for Captain Boomerang because he's just an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> we should have a uh, we should have a Daryl rants about Captain oh Boomerang podcast. That'd be awesome. Uh, <laughs> um, and I don't think you can root for Waller, mm. like you talked about, because yeah, there may be some good outcomes that she's going towards, mm-hmm. but I think her approach is so off and her perspective is so off that. You know, you can't root for her unless she's got some serious therapy yeah, or something. Yeah. But, but I think Deadshot and El Diablo and Flag. I I think Flag's a little more selfish than you do. I think he's mm. just afraid of being alone and doesn't want life without June. Uh, but <clears throat> fair. That's not bad. I mean, that's you can root for love too, right? You know, even in its less selfless aspects. Yes. But, um. And even Harley, right up until the very end when Joker shows up and snaps her back into what she was before. Right. But, so, yeah, totally. I think you can root for them if they're on a journey towards something better. Yeah. Starting in a bad place doesn't disqualify them. It's about the journey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think you you hit it. I, I think if we don't root for villains to be redeemed, then we ultimately say that we don't root for anyone to be redeemed, but those who are already righteous enough. Yeah. Which in my, uh, worldview, I go, well, then we're all screwed. Yeah. Nobody. nobody. Be, yeah. No one, yeah. no one gets that bill. Like, you can root for Jesus. That's it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. So I, I think I agree with you. I think inherently, um, part of the most compelling stories and even this was what made, I think, Man of Steel compelling, is that we saw Superman not as somebody who knew what truth, justice, and the American way was, and was just going to follow that regardless, yeah. but somebody who went, I don't even know what that looks like right now, and I'm hurting. Yeah. And that made it more compelling. Like, now he yeah. has to figure out a way to overcome his own hangups. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you, 100%. Yeah. Um, so, based on that, Ayer seems to be playing with the question... Uh, that people who do bad things can be redeemed. So what do you think? What's your take on that question? And and do you think he answers that question for the audience in a compelling way? Mm. Um, well, first of all, I think the answer to that question is definitely yes. I hope it's yes. My whole worldview <laughs> is, is built on the fact that there's something greater than us mm. that allows us to be redeemed, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think the answer is yes. As far as does he answer it, um, again, character per character, I think 
In Deadshot's case, he answers it very well. Yeah. Um, in El, Di- El Diablo's case, very well. Mm-hmm. Um, by the end of the movie, Flag and Harley a little less well. Right. Um, which for Flag kind of bugs me because I get the sense that we're probably not going to see Flag again. Right. You know, I don't think there's a whole lot of demand for <laughs> Joel Kinnaman to come out and play Rick Flag again. <laughs> Yeah. But in Harley's case, I'm more okay with it because we know we're going to see more Harley. In yes. fact, I think they're talking about a Harley movie, just a yeah, solo Harley movie. Sirens movie, right? What are they talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. is a cool idea. Yeah. I like that idea a lot. I'm, I'm a little bugged about that because it's it's a popularity reaction. Mm. You know what I mean? That's true. Yeah. And that's true. if they get too far into that, then they're going to start doing fan service and making stuff that's maybe not as good as what they would have chosen to make. Right, right, Whatever. Right, right. It's a whole different thing. But... Um, <laughs> But I think he answers the question really well for some of the characters, especially yeah. Deadshot. I agree. Um, and I think we just we just sort of talked about it, but the notes I have on this particular question were like let's just say let's just say I think it actually is a question that not only do movies have to answer for us, but as you said, we have to answer it for ourselves mm-hmm. because it's a worldview question. Mm-hmm. So it, the question I would have as, as a writer and as somebody who analyzes other people's art. The question is always, why do I resonate when the characters make re- redemptive choices? Yeah. And why am I so disappointed in them when they don't? Yeah. Um, or when they go from being in a really good state to being in a really bad state. That shows me something about what I believe to be human nature. But then I must question about well, why is that the case of human nature? Yeah. And now I'm getting very philosophical. But still, that's what the movie is asking us to consider, I believe. And so if that's the case, then I would say... Find me someone who has never done a bad thing. Right. Right? Like, yeah. step one, find me that. Like, if you can find me that, um, I think that you will have found me Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I don't think you can find anybody else. Um, unless there's some other uh, religious figure that you found in some other religion that I'm not aware of. Yeah. That fits that bill. Um, and put that in a storytelling context. Yes. And then you can ask the question, find me a good story with a hero who has never done a bad thing. <laughs> Right, exactly. Exactly. And, and, and they're out there. Those stories exist. Yeah. But that surfacy level of good versus evil where there's a hero fighting a villain. Yep. The villain dies in the end or goes to prison or whatever. And that's the end exactly. of the story. Exactly. 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 Shallow and usually pretty boring. Yep. And I think some people, as they hear me say, like, find somebody who's never done a bad thing, will be like, well, how do you define a bad thing? Okay. I, and I, the only thing I would say is, okay, well, then how would you define a bad thing? Mm-hmm. So I would define it as being selfish. But let's just say that I don't define it that way. It's take your own moral standard. Yeah. And now the question I would ask, unless someone just does not have a moral standard at all, which, by the way, that person's crazy. Mm-hmm. But chances are, even if they have their own moral standard, it's not based on any religion. It's not based on any, like, person's complete atheist, but just has a moral standard, right? Yeah. Um, for example, doesn't want to harm kids, doesn't want to, you know, whatever it is, doesn't right. want to harm the environment, all kinds of stuff. Totally. Chances are that person has still broken their moral standard. Right. Even if it's just in their head, even if it's just a thought, an idle thought that they've had, yeah, I yeah. guarantee you that that person has broken their moral standard. Unless, of course, they don't have one, but then again, they're, they're a psychopath, in my <laughs> opinion. So if that's the case, um, then I think the Ayers question is one that we must all come to terms with. Mm-hmm. Because it has two implications. Um, one, do we need redemption and or forgiveness? Because Ayers is suggesting that we do. 
Right. Uh, that's his. That's the whole philosophical argument of this film is that even villains need redemption, and we want to see them redeemed. Yeah. Um, so, do we need that same thing? Um, and then the second question I would have, and this gets into the more spiritual realm of things, is who do we need forgiveness from? Mm. So I think he's clearly articulating that we need forgiveness and we need redemption. Um, villains can be heroes is sort of the premise of this movie. Uh, and yet none of the characters are perfect. Yeah. I, and I get the feeling that like Katana might be the closest thing to a perfect character, but it's just because we don't know enough about her. That's why we need to talk about her. <laughs> yeah, well, she doesn't do anything, you know, much. She doesn't do much of anything. Um, but the reality is all of these characters need forgiveness. Yeah. Um, they all need to be shown love in some cases, some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Um, we even see it a little bit in your favorite character um, when he is playing with the unicorn uh, stuffed animal. Oh, I see. My yeah. favorite character. In <laughs> quotes. In, in quotes. Yeah. But I mean, you, you look at... Um, I'm like, when did Deadshot play with you? Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, I think that I think that Ayers is, is saying um, that we all need forgiveness. Um, we all need love. We all need acceptance. And then here they are. They're all trapped in their own bad behavior. And they're yeah. trying to figure a way out of that. Um, and I do think that they find a form of, uh, uh, of compassion, com- um, companionship. Right. They, for, they find this, Hey, we're, we're a team. Like we're together in this. Like we can't just be inherently selfish. We should look out for the, each other, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um, and so then the next question I think is, um, did these characters redeem themselves? Mm. And that's a tougher question for me to answer because I, I think that if you, if you ask the question of who do we need forgiveness from, the answer is sort of everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like chances are, if you've known someone for any length of time, you've hurt them in some way. Sure. Um, and then that you need forgiveness. You need reconciliation for that. But on the bigger spiritual perspective, I would also say that um, we, we inherently need forgiveness just because we need uh, forgiveness from our, a spiritual entity. Yeah. Um, and if that's the case, obviously I would answer that question is we need forgiveness from Jesus and from God, right? That's what my answer to that would be. But I think that the question then is, did they redeem themselves in the spiritual sense or did they redeem themselves in the worldly sense? So mm-hmm. if I make amends to you, mm-hmm. I redeem myself in the worldly sense, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like you then think that I'm a better person because we have been reconciled. But is that enough? Is that enough? Is, if you, if... I don't like this analogy, right? But like, there's this analogy that, that's used oftentimes in religion, um, that of the scales. Yeah, I'm holding up my hands like if the people yeah. on the podcast can see it. But there's, this, there's these scales, right? And the scale is you put something on one part of the scale and, and it balances. It goes, it comes out of balance, and then you put something on the other side of the scale, and it goes back into balance. And those that's usually tended tends to be the example of like, well, where where are your sins at? Yeah, let's just that's just what it is, right? How many good things have you done? How many bad things have you done? Deadpool explored this mm-hmm. in the movie Deadpool. Like, how many good things do you have to do before you become a hero? How many mm-hmm. bad things do you have to do before you can become a villain? And and I think that in order to get a spiritual redemption, if your spiritual redemption is based off of what good you've done versus what bad you've done, I think we can judge human beings on that scale, uh-huh. and it's natural for us to do that. But I don't think you can judge spirituality on that scale at all. I think we have to come to terms with, no, these characters did not redeem themselves spiritually. 
they've done some redemptive um, things to redeem themselves on a world from a worldly perspective, but not necessarily from a spiritual perspective. Because what about the bad things? Like the bad things don't just go away because you did something good, right? Right. So I don't know. What's your take on that? On um, did they redeem themselves? Yeah. Um. I think probably by the end of the movie, did anybody fully redeem themselves? Probably not. Hmm. I think Deadshot is the only one who's on the way to it. Yeah. Um, I don't think... I think one of the tragic things about El Diablo is he can't. Mm. Like, I think in his perspective, he's only redeemed himself if he could somehow get forgiveness from his family. Right. But he can never do that. Right. So I don't think he could. I don't think he ever could redeem himself. And that's the best example of the spiritual thing I'm talking about. Yeah. He has no choice but to be either unredeemable as a character ever. Yeah. Or something seek something bigger to right. redeem him. Um, Deadshot, I think, is on the way because you know I think another aspect to the whole redeemed to people, redeemed to God. Yeah. Is there's a matter of how do you feel about it. Because yes. redemption to God is beyond your own self-security or your own sense of self-worth. Redemption to people is a lot more close to that. Yep. Um, like you want to be redeemed to people because you don't want to feel like a jerk all the time. <laughs> you know, you don't, <laughs> right. you don't want to feel like you're letting people down. Yes. And you want to be in better relationship with people. Yes. Um, with God... Within our worldview, we know he's always there for us. We know he will never leave us. Right. So there's a security in that. Yep. Um, but it's beyond how we feel about ourselves. There's a higher need to yep. be redeemed there than just to feel good. Um, so I think Deadshot's the only one that kind of mirrors that a little bit because I don't think he has an, I don't think he's seeking God in any way or anything, but he has his daughter mm. and he has something that is beyond himself. Right. That he does care about. That is a truly selfless aspect. Right. Yeah, I'm, he wants to feel better about himself. He wants to feel like he's a good dad. He wants to feel like he's not a worthless criminal. Right. You know. But he also wants a better life for his daughter, and he loves his daughter. Yeah. So I think Harley, I think we saw glimpses that she could, she could do that. Mm. I don't think she's there yet. I think her codependence with the Joker is just... Way too powerful. Right. Um, again, flag. I think it was more about security and fear and not wanting to be alone than anything else. Right. Which again, not terrible, but right. And then everybody else is just way off the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing you said that. So I'm going to pick up um, a little bit where you left off on the spiritual side because I think you just you really said it in a way that was even better than the way I said it, and that was that. What I'm trying to say with the scale analogy is that you cannot be redeemed to God mm-hmm. via your own works. Right. So I think, and this is the whole point, I think, of the character of El Diablo. I think that's, that, that actually, it's such a good showcase of that principle. Mm-hmm. That there's, because otherwise we could fall into this, um, like you talked about, it, I can feel good about myself when I redeem myself to somebody else. But I, yeah, and, and I think there's two there's two examples. I mean, the whole the whole character of Jesus Christ coming out of the Bible what is meant to be 
what we could not be so that God can reconcile himself to us. Right. In other words, we're not, we're not doing that, right? There's nothing we're doing. I think a lot of times the Christian doctrine gets brought up into this morality sphere. Yeah. It's like, Oh, how good are you? Right. Yeah. But the whole, but that's not good news because you're not good enough. So it's yeah. not good news unless, um, you don't have to be that good. Right. <laughs> um, now I'm not saying you shouldn't try to be good. I'm try- you should try to be good, yeah. but, um, but it's not based on that. That's really what a character like El Diablo needs to have communicated to him. Yeah. In the picture that Ayer has given us of El Diablo is that he's the worst of the worst. So not only is he the worst of the worst, he's been called the devil. Yeah. Um, and we're and he's basically saying that this character can still be redeemed. Yeah. Which I think is fantastic. Yeah. Um, this is this was I, I was watching the elevator scene with Harley Quinn. Okay. And this is what prompted this question. Lots of faceless, stupid drones in that scene. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but her persona made me question something. And it was this. What does our mindset or worldview need to be in order for us to be a villain? So, Or, or put it in the, in the character format. So we see these characters who are villains and they act like villains. Well, mm-hmm. what do you need to be thinking in your head to be able to act that way? Hmm. What, how would you answer that question? There's so many different roads to that. Probably. I know. I know. I think in most cases, it's going to be some hyper accelerated form of selfishness. Um, I think in Harley's case, it's codependence, mm. you know, on mm-hmm. the Joker. You know, if she'd been codependent with some normal, nice guy, then, right. <laughs> you know, she... This may not have happened to her. <laughs> right. But, I mean, clearly they show you in the movie she was flawed before she met the Joker. Like, yeah. Something was messed up with her to begin with. But, um, so in her case, I think it's codependence. In Deadshot's case, I think maybe it's just literally in a, some sort of addiction to what he does. Yeah. It's fun for him. Right. You know? Um, in... Boomerang's case, I think it's just straight up greed, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and bad writing. And in, uh, <laughs> sorry. And in Flag's case, well, he's not a villain, but, you know, for him it's love. So I think there's all kinds of different motivations, but I think it's some hyper selfish version of whatever it is you're seeking after. Right. And how much of, you, how much of yourself are you going to lose in seeking after that kind of. Yeah, I think that's the first thing I had. That's the first sub point, the sub bullet I had on there was the focus on self preservation. Because it takes, so to be a villain, and again, in our definition of villain, not just a person doing bad things, but a person who's super self focused and just, right. you know, um, because let's face it, like Deadpool does a lot of bad things, but he's not a villain. He's an anti hero. Mm-hmm. Like his outcomes are heroic, but he doesn't put inputs of good in there. Um, but so, yeah, self preservation and getting your own needs met, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think that you can ascribe to any sort of spiritual worldview. However, your spiritual worldview, um, has to be self-focused. So in other words, your, your spirituality has to benefit you in your activity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everyone who doesn't believe the same as you is then made an, in- an enemy, mm. right? Um, so uh, for example, let me reverse that, right? A heroic worldview would be, well, my religion tells me, um, that, uh, even some of the things that I do aren't good and I need to, to control even my own self. Sure. Right? Like, 
So, so that's different than me saying that my religion basically tells me I can, that I'm good and I'm worthy. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or my spiritual belief system. Um, because I think that there has to be some, some semblance of asking people to repent in the yeah. spiritual perspective uh-huh. or else it's like, Oh, if you're just perfect, that makes you more likely to be a villain. Yeah. So your spiritual, your spirituality will also demand that everyone else adheres to it, not just suggest it, but demand it. And then finally, uh, your spirituality will be based on more, more so on morality than it will be on faith. Right. Those are the things I would say. You also be a narcissist. You care about more about yourself than you will care about anyone else. Um, so much so that you, you either create your own set of rules um, or, and you ignore what everyone else thinks are rules. So you watch, I, there's a scene, there's the scene with, um, with common monster T is actually his name. I looked it up. Um, really interesting. Yeah. Weird name, right? Um, the Joker makes up his own rules on the fly in that scene. Uh huh. And you'll notice that because he's like, he's like, Oh, wait a minute. Do you want, do you want to hang out with Harley? Yeah. yeah. Um, Oh, wait a minute. I don't know if. I want to allow that. Kind of want to allow that. Don't want to allow that. You, you know what? I don't like my own rules. You're dead. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, um, so, so obviously he's fitting into that. Um, but it just, it just occurred to me because as we're watching Harley go up that elevator, I'm thinking to myself, like she's being really selfish because mm-hmm. she, because she's putting the rest of the group, um, in a really difficult situation because, right. uh, of her wanting to go off by herself and do whatever she's going to do. Right. And she doesn't even have like a, a, a personal, like she's, she seems not even to care about or think about the implications of what could happen to them. Yeah. But also of what could happen to her. Yeah. Like she's, she's putting herself in a place where she's alone and these zombies are going to attack her. And it's just kind of like, um, that seems like a really bad place to put yourself, but she's doing it anyways. And she doesn't seem to care. So anyway, it's just, that that was a kind of an interesting question. And she does it again later in the movie with the helicopter. Yes. Yes, she does. Like it's, it's this whole recurring thing with her where she can be on a road to redemption unless the Joker's calling. Exactly. You know, it's like, he's still, he's still more important than any yeah. journey she may be on for herself. Yeah, so, that's totally true, yeah. which is a really perfect segue. It's almost like you were reading my notes. Um, what are there, your thoughts on the relationship between the Joker and Harley and how it's defined? Um, frighteningly codependent. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I've said that word 900 times. <laughs> I, I think that this doesn't really answer the question per se, but... I think it makes her character, it's what makes her character interesting mm. because it gives her something to fight against, right. you know? Right. Um, and I think it's what makes his character less interesting because mm. for me, I, I like the Joker to have less attachments and just be more mysterious. Interesting. But interesting. I do like that they put so much into it because yes. the Joker and Harley thing, you know, she was created for an, an animated cartoon an animated show, the Batman animated series. She was not created for the comics. Okay. Um, she was just supposed to be a funny henchman for the Joker in the animated series. Um, and then later got adapted into the comics and kind of built out and evolved and stuff like that. And even in the animated series, there's some hints of the same relationship. Like Mm. there's times when, although there, it seems more like he doesn't really care about her. Yeah. You know? Right. And then she, 
feels the effects of that sometimes. Right, 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 right. In this, in the Suicide Squad, you can tell he does care. Yes. Maybe he doesn't want to, but yes. he does. Yes. Um, so it's interesting to see a deeper level between these two, which I think you have to have for live action. I mean, if you're going to care about it. Right. Um, so it's fun to watch. I, I think for me, I hope there's more to it. I hope it goes mm. somewhere because if this movie is it, you know, if we don't get a whole lot more Joker or Harley after this, which I don't think is the case, I think we'll get a yeah. lot, but <laughs> right, right. if we don't, then I feel like this movie's a little unsatisfying. Ah. Um, but knowing that it's a jumping off point to something bigger, right. Then that's okay. Yes. You know, we live in this world now where we have these shared universes and, Yep. Movies are really more like TV episodes that you get every year. <laughs> you know? right, exactly. And so in the, in the grand context of a larger story, that's cool. But so, yeah, I don't know if that accurately no, answers no, the I, question or not. No, I think it does. And I, and I like the tie-ins that you made in the movie. So I, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I, I, and the reason I even ask this question at all is because I have even seen like on Instagram people putting things like, oh, relationship goals, and they'll show like a picture of Joker and Harley. And I know why they're doing that, and I'll get into that in a minute. <laughs> but to me, I go, this is incredibly disturbing relationship. Yes. Super disturbing. Like, so and I'll, and I'll show you I'll showcase why that is true. Um, first is is because in the enchantress vision of what Harley's life could be like, right? So remember, Enchantress. Not that you, not that you forgot, or anyone on the podcast forgot, but but Enchantress is showing them what their ideal life would be in their eyes. Right. She's not making up an ideal life for them. Yeah. She's giving them their vision of what an ideal life would be like, and it tells us several things about Harley. One, it tell, tells us that she actually craves a normal life. Mm-hmm. And this is don't get me wrong. This is a really normal life. She has a couple kids. Um, Joker walks in. He's totally normal. In fact, there's an indication that he has a job because he's in a suit and he looks yeah. like he's going to work. Yeah. Um, they have a house that they live in together. Um, she, so she wants the Joker to be a loving father and husband. Like that's what she wants. It's very normal. It's very traditional. And I think that what people really want when they say relationship goals about Harley and the Joker is that they want for a relationship between two broken people to sort of overcome the brokenness. Hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like they see the world as a broken place. They realize that they're broken people. They realize that they don't fit the mold. They don't fit Harley's vision of what could be. Mm -hmm. So they're saying like, well, I still want to find love. That's sort of what I think they mean by relationship goals. But I think that you have to reject the notion that that relationship is a good one. So you don't have to be normal. I'm not saying you have to be normal. Yeah. And conformity is not really a thing. But the Joker and Harley are way beyond that. And I I would even go so far as to say that any sort of love between them is really more infatuation. Yeah. It's Harley's Harley's whole whole reason why she starts to fall in love with him, I think, that we're shown in the movie, is because she's going like, what in the world is this guy? He has has no fear. He has no, like... I am infatuated with this person's perspective on life and the world. Yeah. So, so much so that, that, um, that he, that the Joker's even saying like, 
what's his line? It's something like, I want you to not die for me, but live oh, for me. Would you live for me? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and she does so, she lives for him in a way where she falls into the vat of stuff too. Yeah. So she's sacrificing things because she's trying to understand like, how does someone have this perspective on life? And I kind of want that. I kind of desire that because maybe, maybe she has her own fears or whatever it is, mm-hmm. but this it's really infatuation. So I think that they're both approaching. And I think in, in for Joker, and I think you said, you pointed this out really well. His infatuation is that like, why does someone love me? Yeah. And now I want this person to be around because this is not something I've experienced before. Yeah. Um, and again, I'm, I'm reading a little bit into that about why he's so infatuated with her, but those are very self-centered ways of approaching a relationship. Yeah. So, and I think if you look at their relationship, I think that's kind of, I was just thinking about this while you were saying that, but I get some hints that there's, they've, you have to read into it a lot. <laughs> <But> <laughs> right, right. They've sort of built in some justification for the fact that Harley could be a hero and could be better. Yeah. But the Joker cannot. Ah. Uh, and what I mean by that is I would argue that their relationship is a little bit more like an addiction yeah. than an actual relationship. Yes. Because I think at the core, neither of them want it. And it's a matter of why they don't want it. I think Harley at the core would like to be better. She yeah. would like to be free, but she's got this addiction to the Joker and it keeps trumping that. I think he would like to be free, but not so he could be better. I think he would just prefer to not have to care about anything at all and just do whatever he wants to do. Yeah. So I think that's kind of, why if they were to separate and break from each other, you could see Harley go more the hero route and he would just become worse. That's, I think a great analysis. Um, and it's also the last question that I had. So any other thoughts on the movie? Um, you already said your favorite character, Deadshot, um, and the character surprised you the most was Harley. Um, I think my favorite character is probably El Diablo. Mm. Um, because I like what he has to wrestle with. Yeah. I like how the movie wrestles with him. Um, I think the character that surprised me the most is either probably like Harley, like you're saying, yeah. or even maybe Waller. Cause I was, especially in the second viewing, I was even more shocked at what she was actually doing and what her actual yeah. end game was that I didn't realize the first time I watched it. Um, so that's what I would kind of say, but any other thoughts about favorite well, characters? Waller's interesting. Cause <laughs> as a comic book fan, she's not shocking at all. Like yeah. if you've seen her in the comics, she's just maybe one of the most faithful representations of a comic book character <laughs> in a movie I've ever seen. Like yeah. that's what she's supposed to be. Got it. So I almost wish that I didn't know who she was when I watched the movie. Cause then uh, maybe I could have experienced that same level of, wow, yeah. she's screwed up. Yeah, yeah. But for me, when I saw the trailer for this movie, I'm like, she's screwed up. Yeah, I yeah, know yeah, that, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's good. That's really good. Um, the only other thing I was thinking about, and this is just a small aside kind of, but so when you're talking about Harley's vision that the Enchantress oh, yeah. Yeah, shows yeah. her of this perfect life, um, I, I watched that scene mm. and maybe I'm just reading into it, but to me, it doesn't come across as this picture of a perfect life mm. and what she it actually, to me, is even more frightening than the existence that she's in now. Oh, really? And maybe that's just because 
I feel and I I'll I saw this in the Dark Knight too, and I'll explain that. But yeah. I feel like when we see the Joker on screen, mm-hmm. the more frightening version of the Joker is a different take. So like mm-hmm. in the Dark Knight, you know, he wears the makeup yep. the whole time, yep. and that's meant to scare people. And, you know, war paint, they call it, and stuff like that. Right. And they really, that's really supposed to be frightening and scary, and that's who he is. Yeah. To me, the darkest and scariest shot of him in the entire movie yeah. is that quick scene where he's right. not wearing makeup, mm-hmm. he's dressed as a cop, yep. and he shoots at Gordon. Right. That's the scariest thing for me. Got it. And. Likewise, in the Suicide Squad, yeah. to me, the most ominous and scary shot we see of Jared Leto yeah. is when he's in that suit looking like a normal dude. Got it. And not when he's playing the Joker. Got it. So that's probably just me reading into it, but. Well, it's a good question. It's a good question. It's like, so, so are they, are the two of them in that vision still somewhat sociopathic or psychotic? I kind of feel like they are because I think she is. Ah, got it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when I look at that, I don't see it as this is a family of nice people living out the American dream. I look at it Uh, as these are still two psychopaths and now they look like us and they have children. (laughs) That is scary. (laughs) You know what I mean? That is really scary. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I think, so the only, the only take I have on that, and I agree with you, if that's, if that's really what the vision is showcasing. And I don't know that it is, but. Yeah, then it's, then it's really, really frightening. I think this is. And I understand why, even if even if it's not what's intended. So even if the, even if the filmmakers intended to showcase Harley having the American dream, so to speak, yeah, um, I still think what you're saying is still scary because it goes yeah. because we go, whoa, we know what those people are capable of, though. Yeah, which is something that's frightening about even our lives, right? Like, yeah. we're all capable of terrible things, but. Um, How's that for uh, how's that for a motivational talk? We're all doing terrible things. Uh, we can all be the joke. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening, kids. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, I think that in my mind, I don't think that that's what's happening in that vision. I'd agree with you that it's scary because because of that reason I just said. Mm-hmm. But but I don't think that's what's happening in the vision because I think that the Joker and Harley like they don't want kids. They don't want the normal life. They don't want a job where he's got to wear a suit. Like yeah. that to me would be an anathema to those characters to a yeah. certain degree. And so what we're seeing is we're seeing, I think we're seeing Harley going back to her pre vat falling pre uh, infatuation with Joker days and going like, I wish I had stability and I wish I had the ability to live without fear but not because I loved a psychotic person, mm-hmm. but because I loved someone who was going to support me and give me kids and give me a nice home. And like, I wasn't crazy. Yeah. That's what I think is going on, but yeah. you might be right. You might be, I just feel like if it was purely that, yeah, it wouldn't have been Jared Leto. It would have been somebody else. Uh, got it. You know what I mean? I think the fact that got it's it. him, it goes beyond. She wants the perfect life. Yes. Yeah. She wants him to be in the perfect life. Well, and this is an interesting scenario because, and I'm glad you brought it up because in my mind, part of what I think is wrong with Harley Quinn's character or what she gets wrong mm-hmm. is I think she's trying to change the Joker. Right. 
I think part of her rationale for trying to understand him is to, because this is where she starts out, right? She starts out as a um, psychologist who's trying to work on him. Yeah. To bring about some level of change. Yeah. And then she becomes infatuated with him and his, and his worldview and his perspective on things. But I think she's still in the back of her mind thinking like, I can still change this guy. Like, yeah. I still see something in him that is, can be redeemable in some way, shape or form. Yeah. But maybe I have to become more like him in my pursuit of him and then change him. Maybe we can like meet in the middle. Mm-hmm. And I think what you consistently see from the Joker is there's no meeting in the middle. Cause that yeah. dude is crazy. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, that'd be, that's it. I like that take though. I like the, the alternate take is kind of cool. It's, it's very, it would be very frightening if that wasn't the case. Yeah. And they were living out their psychoticness in down the street from you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's worst. how it came across to me. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, any other thoughts about the movie in general? Captain Boomerang sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I, I actually, I want to see, I hope that air does another comic book movie. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see him do another comic book movie. Um, I think that there's a lot in this film. I mean, we just talked for a really long time about a lot of really in-depth things. So I love that about the movie. Yeah. When I watch movies like the, the bubblegum Avengers movies, even if I give them a higher point value on a scale of one to 10, um, I don't really enjoy them more. I enjoy a movie where I can actually talk about it. Yeah. Like, what is this saying? Yeah. So, so to me, even if I say like, well, there were some big storytelling applications or, or the way that they've told the story that I can't get behind, I can still get behind the fact that it's asking us to explore some important things. Yeah. And it, I would say, I, I mean, I would make the argument to the, the Marvel love and DC haters, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. like watch these movies twice mm. because Marvel movies, and I'm not making value judgments on either. I sure, love sure. the Marvel movies. Sure. Um, but, uh, Marvel movies hit you immediately. Right. You enjoy them right off the bat. I've found that at least with Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, Suicide Squad, I like them better the second time I watch them. Yes. So to me, that indicates that I'm being pushed somehow. Right. Which makes me feel like I'm watching something better. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yep. But I don't think that's 100% the case, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. a lot of the times something that's great is just great from the beginning and you love it. Yeah. And well, know. there's, I mean, there's, there's a place in art for fun. So I'm not suggesting there's not a place in art for fun. I, I think there's the, the, that's like, um, in fact, in fact, I, I think that I just think that the best art has, it plays on multiple emotions, right? Not just like, Oh, cool. Like, the Hulk just destroyed something that's so fun, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But more, more the things that are more like, like for example, um, the reason I believe that Disney's empire is so big and so powerful now is because they, because from the very, very beginning, Disney was n- never afraid to put things in his stories that were really not fun. I mean, yeah. Just look at any of the old school Disney movies and you've got like tragedies that happen in them. Totally. So you've got these like lighthearted things that go on like oh we're the dwarves and we're going to whistle on our way to work, but there are tragedies that the are worst, occurring. The worst thing you could possibly be as a parent in a Disney movie. <laughs> no kidding. Cuz you're probably going to die. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Yeah, and the kids have to deal with that, right? So I think, yeah. I think that I I, I appreciate um 
when a movie draws upon more of my emotions than just yeah, absolutely. cool, you know, like that's yeah. that's fine, but totally. So it's a four. It's a four out of ten for me, but it's a it's a more positive four than a negative four. <laughs> if that makes any sense at all, four point five. That's it for today's podcast. What do you think? Do you have other questions? Uh, let me know. Write me an email at reclamationsociety at gmail.com. The email address is actually in the show notes below, so you can cut and paste it, make it easy. Or you can check out our community on imzy.com, I-N-Z-Y.com. It's a new, friendlier Reddit where we host our discussion board. So that link is also in the show notes. Click it, cut and paste it, do what you need to do to get over to the discussion group. And you can actually be posting in that community and letting us know some of the things that you're watching, some of the things that you're listening to, and some of the truth that you're finding in them. We're there all the time, and we will respond to you accordingly. Also, would you do me a favor? Please give us a review on iTunes. I would really appreciate it if you did that. It's really big for us, and we appreciate your time. Also, don't forget to subscribe. We have some really cool upcoming topics. We're continuing our Stranger Things series, our Luke Cage series. Um, I've been watching Penny Dreadful, so maybe I'll start doing a series on that. Um, And of course, I've been plugging this for many months, and we're still going to do it. Our guests haven't been available yet, but we're going to do a Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice Ultimate Edition podcast as well. So just make sure you subscribe. We'd love to have you back. Um, as always, our links to our social media are in the show notes. You can follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. It'll keep you up to date on what we're doing and allow you to give us some feedback there as well. Thank you for listening. And until next time, question everything in the stories you read, watch, and listen to and seek the truth. <laughs>